The expression, everyone's a critic, recognizes those who express opinions on a particular subject, regardless of their actual qualifications. Meet Mike and Julie. They are makers of art, appreciators of artistry, and possessors of more college degrees than is truly necessary in life. These two overly educated friends are uniquely qualified to explore the deep, dark corners of the art world and push the boundaries of that all-important question. But is it art? So, so anyway. I watched six musicals uh, for this podcast. I watched <laughs> Dear Evan Hansen, Into the Woods, South Pacific, Diana the Musical, which I believe I frantically you, text you about yes, hating you your guts <laughs> for making me watch this okay. crap did not make you okay let's make this very clear <laughs> this musical idea was yours <laughs> did i make you watch any of it no no but it was torturous nonetheless um i did watch um uh, phantom of the opera star kids the musical which was a lot of fun the, that the, is i like those guys i like I those really guys like they're those a lot guys. of fun i didn't realize that darren chris came from that group oh darren really chris from group from Glee. yeah yeah and yeah, i love I darren chris i have a little crush on him so i was like oh my god um yeah and then i made a list of some musicals that i have already seen in the heights tick tick boom you know, uh, West Side Story, The Sound of Music, Jesus Christ Superstar, Mamma Mia, Hamilton, King and I, uh, Chorus Line, Holy. Pippin. I mean, I've seen I Big River. Uh, what else? Like, I've seen a good chunk of those somewhere yeah. along the along my, my voyages. Yeah, um, I mean, so I think yeah. the only one that we sort of pre-discussed that I never got around to watching was Cats, and I just. I just refuse. Why? Because the premise is absolutely stupid. It is stupid. <laughs> so my favorite dumb. part about cats is uh, watching the Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, trying to sell it on some chat show <laughs> prior to its opening in the West End. He, he and the choreographer were there just talking it up, talking it up. Oh, but it was hardly. all about the poems. Well, and see, I'm the world's biggest T.S. Eliot fan, so I've read those poems. Yeah. And I feel like some of the songs, like the most famous song from Katz's Memory, mm -hmm. that's actually based on the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, which is one of my favorite poems okay, by T.S. Yeah. Eliot. It's not based on the cat poems at all. And so I felt like, well, that really captures the essence of T.S. Eliot. So that's nice. Right. And, and I feel like, you know, perhaps the songs probably do well, but the premise of this, this dumbass spaceship that's going to come and take them it's it's not a story. It's no, not, it's, it's not a loose a framework for these songs to hang together. Yes, very loose. Much I mean, like yes, <laughs> much like what we've talked about before, which is those sort of jukebox musicals. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. How can you tie all this stuff from the <laughs> this in rock this, and roll from the fifties or in this rock and roll from the fifties or Mamma Mia, like all these yeah. ABBA songs? I know how you feel about Mamma Mia. 
Uh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I like ABBA. I ABBA, love ABBA, but... Ubu, whatever. I, I like the music. I don't think it really needs a... Storyline. Yeah, yeah, I don't think yeah. it needs a storyline. I mean, I think those kind of things, at least in my view, they're a great exercise for the playwright and or producer and or director. In what way? In the, in the It's the challenge of being a a content creator, for lack of a better term, hmm. to, you know, I really dig ABBA, for example, you know, for example. And if you listen to it long enough, sure, you can probably put bits and pieces together. And then it becomes this uh, very academic exercise and how can you make these songs work into a storyline? So you write this storyline and you write this background to try and get these songs to fit you know, into a, this puzzle. Yeah. So you're creating a puzzle for yourself to try to, you know, it's Sudoku for it musical is. entertainment. <laughs> You've got these parts and you got to figure out where the rest of it lies. You know, it's funny. My friend Jamie said, uh, when I was telling her about this podcast and this episode and she was like, I like the musicals where I can go and I, I know all the songs. And I was like, oh my God. That's okay. So, that's so, and I, and I, you know, I can't disparage her for that because the audiences love it. They love the experience of being sure. able to sing along and like have this, you know, this fun collective moment together. And, and I can't deny like that's enjoyable and entertaining. You know, it's entertainment. Right. I, I don't know that it's art, <laughs> which is the seminal question. Is that, yeah. So, so back to cats. Talk about, <laughs> talk about clever segues. So back to cats. Because <laughs> um, I, I think that's just it. It is a collection of songs. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber had, I mean, he, he probably had this book of cats poems from his childhood and mm-hmm. just decided they were all songs. And then loosely put this weird little scenario together. It's and funny. it's not even a full story. It's just a scenario. It is. And it's, it's not, if, a even stupid that, scenario. And I think <laughs> even the word scenario is still being generous. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. My, however, I have to tell you, and I have to admit this, um, I do like cats. You, you're going to hate me for the rest of your life, and that's fine. I get it. <laughs> I'm silently <laughs> but, judging you. That's fine. And okay. I know I can feel it through the I can feel it through the 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 computer. Um the no, there is a they put it on film for and we are broadcast. not for the record talking about that horrible thing with Taylor Swift and no. James Corden. This okay. thing was done in 1980s. Okay. All late right. 80s. All right. And it was done by some of the people who had been performing cats for a long for, time. For a long time. It's uh and it was done for bro- it was for film. They beefed up a th- an actual theater with the actual lighting with the actual costumes and some of the most talented people who have performed the roles and they put it on film and that film version is marvelous. Okay. Well, part of it is and I, and it's because the talent is so tight. And part of it is also unfortunately because the camera work and the lighting is so well done as well. 
mm-hmm. you get to see faces, you get to recognize people, and the choreography is so high energy. It's really good. It's a lot of fun. Um, is it art? Yeah, I don't know. You know, but I do enjoy that performance. However, I've seen it at the Fox Theater on a bus and truck tour. Nope. Didn't need it. No, really. Okay. Yeah, it was it was it was yeah, it was it was sloppy, you know, but it was oh, that's unfortunate. It was sloppy and boring and, you know, just it wasn't there. So You know, that brings up a question I was thinking about <laughs> ironically enough in the bathroom today. Uh <laughs> It was an appropriate place to be thinking about this. I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, there's a separation between content and production value and how much Mm -hmm. effort, you know, the director and the producer put into making it high quality and the performers really commit to the process. And then you have the material, which could be absolute crap. Agreed. And then, so it's hard to separate those out sometimes, I think. And I, I had this little moment where I was watching Phantom of the Opera and I'd never, I watched the version with Emmy Rossum and uh, Gerard Butler. And it's just this, it's just a film version of it. And I sort of tried to reimagine it, how it would be in the theater. And the spectacle of it is huge. Like I was like, well, that's a theater experience. That's Mm -hmm. like a, a very high quality theater experience. And the music is, you know, very high quality. The lyrics are kind of goofy, but that's Andrew Lloyd Webber. And so I was like, well, okay. um, Really? I can walk away with this saying, I can see so much. I can see why so many people love it, and you know, had this, you know, transportive experience in the theater. And that process, I think, is art. Like just that experience. I agree. You know. Yeah, yeah. um, Is the material separate from the production value? Are you talking specifically Phantom or No, I'm anything? asking that generally speaking. Um, if it's a really good show, it shouldn't be. And that's my dirty opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, the material should be as equally, you know, should be attended to as equally as every bit of the production. You know, and if it's not, you know, that's ugh. so. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I raise this question because. I know you're a fan of the SpongeBob musical. Yes. And so I watched some clips of that and I was not impressed with the material. I was impressed with the production value. The costumes were great. The performance was great. They were very committed. Um, I could see how it would be a fun thing to watch in the theater with, you know, high quality performers, so on and so forth. But I really think when I look at the material, I just think, is it necessary? Was it necessary to make okay. a SpongeBob? Was it necessary to make a Beetlejuice musical or Mean Girls? I mean, I is love it Tina necessary Faye, to but... make any art. <laughs> you know, let's put this one to rest. <laughs> but you're asking, is it is it art? It's or is it just entertainment? That's a mighty fine line. 
Do you think? I would, yeah. Especially when you cop in the, the SpongeBob musical. Okay, I have to, I love, and again, the Spon- I was introduced to the SpongeBob musical because my daughter came home and forced me to watch um, the Broadway version. They put it on, uh, put it on one big tape, one big piece to put out for the kids, but it was the Broadway show. I think you should disown her. I can't. I've got too much invested in her. <laughs> She's half of my retirement plan. So, <laughs> so no. Um, however, you have to, um, part of my aesthetic is I also come at theater as a designer. Mm-hmm. So, and as a, as a designer and as, uh, as a director, the SpongeBob, that production of it was marvelous because so many details were there and every moment is accounted for. And the story is just, you know, it's just another cartoon episode. Mm. You know, there's nothing special about it. You know, it's all about friendship and imagination. It's nothing new. Um, but the music is brand new. And they, and I, though the music I don't think is marvelous, I think it's uh, it's at least an attempt at something different. I appreciate the attempt at it because they went to all these famous artists and say, hey, we're doing this musical. Because this thing was in production for like six, seven years before it hit okay. the Broadway stage. And they literally went to uh, Cyndi Lauper, David Bowie before he died. One of his songs, Bowie song is in there. Uh, Sarah Bareilles. um Oh, there's a list goes on and they all contributed something to the show specifically for that script to be put in there. So I appreciate that thought. I appreciate that experiment. And I don't know if it's a hundred percent worked, but at least it's not. And, and technically, yes, it's a jukebox musical, but it's not in the sense that each song was written for this show. There's not a lot of continuity between styles on the music. So my take on it. Well, I, that's interesting. I mean, it brings up these questions of material versus production very well. I mean, I think that's a that's something to ponder. By right. the way, I just want to say for our listeners, we ask, "Is it art?" But we don't ever have an answer. We have strong opinions. We certainly. have strong <laughs> opinions, but it never really gets conclusive. Uh, yeah, we, very rarely. So, because I think between the two of us, we will always land on the opposite side. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just should be said. I mean that uh, Mike loves them, and Julie does not, which is funny. And I was thinking about why. I was really trying to examine my own bias. Um, because I've seen so many of them. I was really surprised when I made the list of musicals that I have seen and then really thought about it. And uh, while well, you've seen all these musicals, Julie, it's not like you didn't enjoy them. Well, most of them, right? So, um, and as a person, I really love songs. I really love, that sounds corny. Uh, let me rephrase that. I really love <laughs> <laughs> I really love uh I really love music. I really love pop songs. 
I really love a well-crafted pop song. I really love a piece that's like the perfect combination between lyrics and, and, and music mm-hmm. and that tells a story or a feeling from beginning to end. And that is essentially a musical is when you string them along and you put them to, you know, an overarching framework. And I was like, well, you know, you really should love them <laughs> by that descriptor. I mean, but I, go ahead. I think that explains why you love the music or certain musicals for the music. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the experience that I think I find overly earnest and a little cheesy. And it's not that I'm not comfortable <laughs> to go into that place where you're feeling all the feelings and feeling vulnerable and and feeling sort of seen by the art that you're experiencing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's not that. And it's not that I think that performers shouldn't be earnest and vulnerable as well in order to take us to that transportive place. But there's something about the way certain musical performers get up there and they just are emoting so hard that to me... It just kills kills it. I I saw there was an episode, not an episode. There was the, the Tonys were recently, mm-hmm. and they were doing a Spring Awakening re- reunion, uh, Spring Awakening the musical reunion, and they had, you know, I love Jonathan Groff's voice. I think he has like the best tenor on the planet. It's just golden and perfect, and and he could sing anything, and I would listen to it. And um, it was him and Leah Michelle, and they were up there doing something. And I don't know, the way they were both going at it was just so awful. <laughs> their performance was completely on spot. I mean, it was, they were singing it perfectly. They were acting, you know, they were very committed to the moment. But I was just like, oh God, I can't watch this. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me see if I can nail this down. Okay. I probably can't. I'm just going to ask questions. Number one, the, um, my mother, to preface this, my mother hated Bonnie Franklin from that TV show back in the 70s. Oh, uh, from uh, One Day at a Time. That one, yeah. She hated Bonnie Franklin, the she's, mom. She's kind of an over-actor. That's because Bonnie Franklin, most of her is a stage actress? actor. Oh, really? A okay. stage actress. So everything she did was over the top because – you know, she had to make it work at 50 feet from the back of a galloping horse. Sure, sure. So seeing it on the Tonys, is that a possibility as to why that performance didn't work? Sure. Seeing it, I mean, seeing it up close on your TV screen where, you know, every every sure. eyebrow hair is visible. It's, yes, exactly. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's, it's so simple, but maybe that's actually true. Because when I think about my experience of watching Phantom, which was made for film, I mean, it was just a film adaptation of right. the show. It wasn't me watching the show that has been filmed. So I wonder if that's part of my issue. Because when I see musicals in the theater, I really don't have a problem with them so much. I don't always okay. enjoy them. Um, right. 
but that's again content and that's a that's a million other things that could be happening too yeah that's a million other things whatever i'm bringing to to the the experience and you know a hundred different factors that can't be explained there's also another factor that i'm curious about and i we may have talked about this before somewhere else um are you a fan of non-realism versus realism oh yeah i mean i go i i ask uh i get into little arguments with my students about realism versus non-realism in theater which is in theater and which is better and (laughs) explain to me the premise of the arguments basically and then i will answer the question okay the argument is um young actors uh and young designers also uh, they study realism and they, you know, they're, they're taught, you know, actors are taught the method. They're taught, you know, bring yourself Which to the Which I have role. a whole bias against the method. That's the method. Okay. The method I'm using is a very generalized term of just oh, I, yeah. using yourself in the role. Okay. Oh no, I have a problem with the method. I think it, I think it got adopted by American actors in the forties and fifties and we've never let go of it. Oh yeah. I, I agree with it. the history of it is just. It isn't, it isn't the be all end all, you know what I mean? It's not, but American theaters programs of which you are very familiar with teach it like it's by the Bible. Yeah. Well, we don't teach it by the Bible, but we, that's where we start with almost every actor. Mm -hmm. It's this realistic mode where, you know, you put yourself in this situation. How would you respond? That's the basis of almost every acting program in America and 99% of where most of us start teaching young actors at, you know, the freshman and college level. Sure. So that's what most, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about realism. Uh, and in the designers too, they want to design sets and costumes, but they want them to be, they look historical. They want them to look accurate. They want them to look you know, like as real as possible, real clothing uh, versus something like, um, you know, something like Phantom. It's, you know, it's big. I mean, granted, parts of it are real, but parts of it are exaggerated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's big. It's opera, you know, so, that, you know, scenery's big versus you get into things like Little Shop of Horrors. You know, you've got a gigantic puppet on stage as one of the main characters. Plus, you know, uh, it, it's a 50s backdrop, but it's a kitschy, cartoony backdrop for Little Shop of Horror. So you're getting farther and farther away from realism. Um, well, I should say that I have an art degree and my art degree is in, you know, performance, installation and video. And performance right. art is about as far away from realism as you can get. I mean, you're using right. your body and time and space to communicate this idea or feeling or experience that you want the viewer to have and but it's experimental it's it manipulates sort of those standard theater practices you know you you can break the fourth wall you can you know extend the time far past you know the two hour mark you can you know uh Screw Aristotle. Screw (laughs) Aristotle. Whatever. You can take your clothes off. You can, you know, you know, roll yourself in peanut butter, whatever. And so I love stuff like that. And I love the intersection of like standard realistic theater practices with 
experimental modalities. I love it when you get things like Laurie Anderson, Mm -hmm. for example, who very much messes with that. Right. With that sense or like um, Philip Glass or John Cage or somebody like that who, you know, pushes the limit of what you're supposed to expect. And I, I like it when, you know, you can get like a classical piece. I remember when I was in college and I'm not saying it was particularly successful, but there was this version of Romeo and Juliet that they were doing that was set in the future and it was all on this raked stage. And I, it didn't work particularly well because there was the sound issue with the raked stage. (laughs) There was a lot of clomping around (laughs) (laughs) and I, uh, but it was very interesting. And I, I thought, well, that's a different conceptualization of, you know, a classic play that we've seen a hundred times. Everybody's mm-hmm. read it in high school. So why not bring something new to it? What are you going to do to change? It's like, I remember seeing Baz Luhrmann, the film director's version of Romeo and Juliet. I don't know if you've seen that film, but it's fabulous. I, I'm, not, I'm not a film buff. So which one is it? I may have uh, seen Baz it. Baz Luhrmann is uh, with Leo DiCaprio and oh, Claire, Claire Danes. Danes. Yeah, yeah. Have seen it. Yes. Okay. Well, I remember watching that and thinking, I'm completely entranced and committed to this storyline. And I, um, even though I know what's going to happen, I know how it ends. I know mm-hmm. how it plays out. But I want to see how he interprets it. I want to see what happens. Now that's film. Again, it's not real theater, but I do think that you have to be able to step into as a designer, as an actor, you have to be able to step into that place where you can imagine all these different worlds for the characters to inhabit and for that Mm -hmm. story to play out. So to answer that's a very long answer to your question, but yes, I, I love non-realistic stuff so for you would uh a musical that's set realistically be less enjoyable or at the very least less challenging because you seem to enjoy the challenge i do enjoy the challenge i do i I will give you an example so uh i love jesus christ superstar i think it's brilliant um and it's sort of um you know, it's a rock opera version of Jesus's life or his last days. Right. And I'm not a particularly religious person, but I, I find it very moving. I think it's sort of this juxtaposition of you know, juxtaposition is a $5 word. <laughs> <laughs> ching, ching. Ching, ching. Juxtaposition of, you know, a classical tale, uh, not to offend anybody, but a, 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 a very a seminal tale for Western culture. It's a very old story. A very old story. And that has been interpreted in a new way in into a 70s rock opera. Right. So I love that. I love that. And when I've seen things like Hades Town, um, I've just seen clips. I haven't. Um, <laughs> when I've seen clips of Hades Town, I always think, well, these are a series of old tales. You know, it's based on mythology and so but it's interesting how they've interpreted it and made it work Mm -hmm. on stage so yeah i guess i do like the challenge 
So like, seeing something like spring awakening and over emoting yeah. doesn't. <laughs> Again, it's kind of a contrived story, spring awakening. I, I mean, it's a tragedy. It's a terrible, terrible story. I don't know why you would sit for it. What's the, what do you get out of the process of listening to it? I don't know, but I don't know. What do you get out of the process of listening to Tommy? I mean, again, a sad story. And again, Tommy is, a uh, rock opera. it's a rock opera, but it's also the who, you know, it's another who album. Yes. So Just I don't aware. know if that's, I know, but, <laughs> but it, is it the music only or is it the story or is it? I don't know. I wish I had these answers. I, they are things that I continually think about um, when I think about musicals. And I wonder, I will say, I, I when I watched Dear Evan Hansen, I loved it. And, and I had another friend who watched it with me. And she was like, I can't take the tension of this story because it's a difficult set. It's if difficult you, material. Yeah. Because you're constantly wondering, is Evan going to, like, is this the thing that's going to push Evan over the edge and he's going to try and commit suicide and, you know. Emotionally, it hurts. Emotionally, it hurts. Yeah, it gets really, really intense. And I loved that tension. Even though it's hard, I felt that Mm -hmm. it was teaching me something. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Because I... I will agree with you, and I do love that kind of tension in a live performance. Mm. Yes. Okay? If I'm in the same room with these people, and they are going through it, and I, and they've got me going through it with them, to me, that's that's the absolute core of theater, and that's I agree. brilliance in action. I agree. Um, for some reason, I can't sit through it on film or television. Oh really? I it, I totally I, I can do it. Cannot. I can't I cannot sit and watch television. I cannot sit and watch too many movies. I mean, I can watch something brand new for the like for the first time we saw I was tired the other night and my and my wife was sitting watching um what was, oh Shazam. Oh, with Zachary Levy yeah. and Shazam, and, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I sat through it cute great little movie yeah, a lot cute. of fun silly fun i'm done you know i will never watch it again <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that i sat down and watched it in the first place was number one it was t- i was tired number two it was kitschy and unrealistic enough to keep my attention and then the humor of it was fun and then the premise of it was silly and okay this is kind of a neat you, know, you saw the ending coming halfway through the movie you know, mm-hmm. you saw the mm-hmm. the resolution of it, but it was. But My I best can't friend do that. is the same way. Amy is the best. Uh, Amy, hi, right. Amy. <laughs> hi, Amy. <laughs> She's the same way. She will not watch a movie twice, um, and she doesn't particularly like sitting down for some, you know, through our German expressionist thing where you. <laughs> are supposed to ponder the meaning of your existence me i love that crap i will eat it up with a spoon i don't know maybe i'm just an art whore i have no idea i've taken too many uh 
are too smart for your own good. Too smart for my own good. I've I've taken too many theory and criticism classes. I don't know. I just love that. I just love it. I love it in film. I love it in TV. I love being challenged. I love when That's interesting when the director expects a lot out of his audience. That I agree with. Mm-hmm. If I, I think that's a lot of why I don't watch TV because, you know, too much of what's on is just crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, and I hate to say that and I hate to, and I'm going to sound like a pompous ass, mm. pretentious jerk. Uh, but a lot of it is just aimed at the lowest common denominator to get as many people to watch. Well, I think with television, sometimes people just think, I think, I think I should say, I think with television that, it's there as entertainment when you are tired. I think that is the goal for a lot of television. Right. That's kind of sad, but. And I, I you know, and I know, uh, okay. Uh, quick side story. When I was in grad school, I had a sweatshirt, a big white sweatshirt and black letters that says theater is life. Film is art. Television is furniture. Okay. Now, that being said, I wore it. One of my professors um, was brought on that year to teach some of the acting and some of the upper level acting classes, made most of his living on television. Mm -hmm. He did not like me after that sweatshirt. (laughs) Well, and I've lived in Los Angeles. And so, and I, I am a trained actor as well as an artist. So I did a lot of, um, training for TV acting and film acting, which is very different from theater mm-hmm. acting. It's not that you don't use this, the set of skills like, say, a method toolbox, but you have other things to be thinking about right? at the same time. So I feel that there are there is good television out there. Out there. It's just very challenging and it's not common. So I, I, I agree. I agree there is really good television out there and with, you know, a lot of these cable things, these yes. cable producing stuff that's not network anymore but you know yeah, we grew network up on network television is horrifying but anyway <laughs> anyway we're digressing really we far, digress but yeah. uh, that's but okay. i think it does come back to the point that um i like the non-realistic stuff like you talk lion king for example yeah you know the julie tamor lion king i love julie tamor though she can do no wrong she's a yeah she's a genius and i've seen multiple things of hers but they're always uh, you know, they always are capable of both good content and emotional content that usually grabs me somehow, but it's so- done in such a w- weird and wonderful new way mm-hmm. that I usually adore it. I agree. I think that that's a, that's a good example of The Lion King because it is, you know, essentially the Disney stuff right it's the, it's, the it's made script. for kids and right. you know and the music is made for kids and it's not not that i'm dismissing you know elton john and his writing partner on that whose name is currently escaping me tim rice that's not tim, tim rice is that's it? not tim rice it's um crap Mencken? alan Mencken? no no I don't maybe know. it is alan Mencken. We'll we'll add that in later, okay. Uh, or we can just keep the, the me you know not remembering. Just, just keep going. <laughs> uh, um, I'm not dis- diminishing their work. I mean, certainly Disney musicals are a whole other topic. 
but they're primarily aimed at children. And right. so it's not like the content there is anything challenging. But somehow, with the production values being so very, very high, it becomes a transportive experience. It doesn't just right. become another sing along. Here's the songs of Billy Joel. Here's the Beach Boys songs. Right. You know, here's Mamma Mia. It's, <clears throat> you know, right. I'm really like- dogging on Mamma Mia, but, you know, let it be known that I was the world's largest ABBA fan in fourth grade and I got made fun of for it constantly because they were not hip at the time and everybody else can suck it now because obviously they are making they have made the comeback hard but (laughs) but um it is a stupid musical i mean which which brings me to my next point which is um is that is entertainment to me that is not art they are entertaining they are fun they are great for the audience yep and but Uh, i don't think that's art when I is, go ahead, no, keep going. I'm I'm stumbling through my thoughts right now. Okay, when I I work at a museum and it's right down the street from a local theater, um, a local, our local, um, touring theater, the one that mm-hmm. shows all the productions. I'm not going to name where it is. Uh, um, and I was driving to work one day, and and it was Pretty Woman the musical, and I thought to myself is this really necessary? (laughs) But they were packed every day. Now, part of that is because people were buying it as part of a package. You know, here you can buy, you know, C3 musicals for X dollars and subscriptions and subscriptions and stuff like that. And I think that was part of it, but you know, people were just going because it's, it's something to do and it's the theater and it's fun. And, you know, it's something they recognize. It's something they recognize. They know this story, Hooker with a Heart of Gold, and the guy yeah. who comes to rescue her, and you know, um, this Cinderella esque plot line um, that everyone knows and loves. So I just was, I that's what got me on this whole topic was that, you know, I don't think that's art. I don't think that. And when I watched. For example, Diana the Musical. Let me just give you a little piece of what I had to sit through, Mike. So, uh, <laughs> I, again, no. again, Mike did not make me do this, but I did it for the sake of the podcast. Uh, she did it for her art. She did it for her art. Or <laughs> whatever this is. <laughs> I did it for content. Um, <laughs> the there was a scene in which uh, James Hewitt, Princess Diana's lover, while she was married to Charles, uh, comes on stage. This is his first entrance star on stage. He comes on stage shirtless in a pair of riding pants on a saddle. <laughs> on his Ru- okay. Was he riding something? No, he was just riding the saddle. And we'll just let your mind wander to the... There wasn't a horse. There wasn't a horse. There wasn't a wooden horse. There was a wooden horse. But the implication is something else. Yeah, I get the the connotation behind it. Yes. And they were (laughs) rhyming his name, Hewitt, with do it. Who wrote this? I don't know. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> that kind of rhyming scheme sounds like 
college <laughs> sophomores. But anyway. <laughs> but I I sat through this whole thing about Princess Diana's life and it had high production values. I mean, and the the actors were were fine and they sang well, they performed well. The content was absolute trash. And I thought but this is something people would probably pay to go see as part of a subscription package. Sure. You know, and then there's the the Anglophiles. Oh, yeah. Follow, yeah. And the, let it be known, in in fifth grade, I was a huge Princess Diana fan and remain one to this day. So, you know, all my haters, again, you can suck it. But because <laughs> her legacy lives on. But this musical. Not no, art. No, not art. Not art. That's in- <laughs> not by a long shot. Yeah, because okay, we the college I work at just did a production of SpongeBob the Musical, which yeah, is what started this conversation between Julie and I mm-hmm. about musicals. Because and I had to give him shit about. It. I was like, I can't believe you're doing this. To, well, <laughs> I didn't pick it. Okay. However, I don't know if How you know you, this as a as a as an instructor and a director, not pick the content. I didn't instruct it or direct it. Oh, I thought you did. I'm sorry. No, I, I had you were nothing to do it. with this. No, I had nothing to do with this this selection at the school. Okay. Okay. I had done my duty as a director and as an advisor and as a teacher. This was the last show of the year. Everybody else was involved with this. I wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> Number one. Now, not why because did you want nothing to do with it? You said you I, loved this musical. I do. I do. And had I not been beaten down by the first three quarters of the year, I probably would have done something with it. I see. It. I see. So this was a fatigue issue. Not this was a, <laughs> yeah. This is literally, we're at the last week of April, early first week of May, you know, and, a and you're week like, and I'm half, done. <laughs> yeah. A week after the cling closes is finals. So no, I'm not getting involved with this. <laughs> I strictly, see. Yeah. Strictly for just humanitarian reasons. <laughs> So, however, long story short, one actor gets COVID after the first weekend. I'm the only guy not involved in this show in the tri-state area. So guess who's on stage the following weekend, having learned a page of lines? Yeah, me. I'm on stage in SpongeBob playing the, the, the French announcer who goes, one week later. You know, that's all I did. <laughs> There's wonderful things of SpongeBob. There's one there. And that's that's all I did. <laughs> it was so stupid. Okay. Now, I love the video of the original Broadway production. It's marvelous. They do such a wonderful job. They go at it. It's fun. Yes, the content isn't great. It's not a great story. But I think everything comes together. The story is not much more, like I said, than a, a, a SpongeBob episode. But why would you expect more than that? The characters don't do much more than that. But it's fun to see human beings be really good at their job. I mean, everybody can dance. Everybody can sing. Everybody can act. Uh, the poor guy playing SpongeBob is doing physical stunts. Uh, the lady playing Sandy, the squirrel, she's, uh, you know, she's up there too, doing some of these stunts with him. It's, you know, it's a lot of fun. And production value was immaculate. 
you know, it was just so colorful and bright and clean and crisp. And I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. However, we did it here at my college. And don't get me wrong, uh, the people who did it loved it. They loved every inch of it. They Everybody had the best time of their lives. Was it the same production? Absolutely not. Would I have been able to sit through our production as an audience member? I don't know. I really doubt it. And it's only because I have the original to compare to. So I don't know if that's something about... My but, expectations are so high on certain things. No, but it brings up the question again. And I think I think I've sort of crystallized this in my mind now. You have production values, you have content, and then you have that immutable experience that happens when you're in the space with theater. Right. And so the question comes together as what parts of that make it art what that's an interesting equation as you put it the immutable that 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 experience Mm -hmm. you know that those moments when actor performer and audience are all right there together in that same tiny little spot in time and space for me that's where the art is i agree and, you know, because uh, I have been blessed by my father with the uncontrollable urge to cry when I'm really happy. Aww. It's just in my damn DNA. And when I see really good theater that does that to me, I tend to start to weep a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, so like at the end of Act One of Wicked, boom. I don't know if you've seen Wicked on stage. I have not. It, it's oh so good. But at the end of Act One, Defying Gravity, and she's just screaming it, and everything comes together in such a marvelous moment. Lights come up on the audience, and I am tears, okay? There's these, you know, so for me, that one's art, mm-hmm. okay? And it, it's, it doesn't matter if the story is believable or not or crap or not. It doesn't matter if the production value is on par with, you know, some of the best movies or what have you. It all came together enough that that moment, that it, that it's that moment. That's where the art is. I mean, I think you can have art in the content. I think you can have art in the production value. Um, but if you don't get that immutable moment, like you call it, I don't know if you can call it. I think you can call the the separate parts of it art, artistic. Can you call the entire experience art? I think that so, is a perfect place to have we defined, have we done it? <laughs> we've done it. We've done it. I think we've done it. Um, I do want to pivot for a minute just because I read this article and I thought about you and I thought about this podcast, Emmanuel Asenberg, who is a very famous and decorated product uh, Broadway producer. Okay. Did a Ted talk recently. Um, on the Broadway channel app or, you know, streaming service. Um, And he was talking recently and I want to bring up some of the things he said because I felt that it was sort of seminal, you know, to the future of theater and, and Broadway and, you know, as Broadway is a lot of musicals these days. Right. I feel like it's, I feel like it's important to, 
to say this. He said, we don't have an agreed upon criteria for quality. The value and aesthetics and taste have been devalued on Broadway, he says. He says uh, he feels that Broadway has lost its way and not just because of ticket prices, but definitely that is a factor. You used to be able to pay, you know, $15 and go see the chorus line Mm -hmm. and now it's $250. And so it shuts people out. And there's also this, this imperative now to succeed because it costs so much to mount a production. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think that speaks to, you know, famous movie, the musical, you know, yes, pretty woman. Exactly. Musical. exactly. I, I think that's what that speaks to, you know, you, you, that kind of thing is, I think looking for the money. Exactly. A uh, hundred years ago on Broadway, there were 270 openings each year. There were 90 theaters. Now there are 35 theaters and 35 openings. And then you have, the theater has to be the queen of the arts. It has to mean something. The plays have to be meaningful and there has to be an honor to be there. Uh, That existed for many years and we have to get back to that. He says Broadway has become a theme park because we charge so much money and the shows should be in Orlando. And I thought about that really hard and I thought, well, that's true when you get stuff like Beetlejuice and you get right. stuff like Mean Girls. And so Pretty you're, Woman. And yeah. Pretty Woman. And so I wonder what the future is. Well, I I mean, change is inevitable. You know, from his generation to the current generation, you know, it's... Obviously, the man is 88 years old. <laughs> right. Because, you, know, you know, he participated in a golden age of theater, mm-hmm. of Broadway... Mm-hmm. I won't say the one, but uh, I don't know. I think it's, you know, it's changing, granted. And clearly, you, you he's laid it out and you've laid it out. I think part of the problem for me is that relying on Broadway to be the pinnacle of American theater. Because I don't think that, I don't think that's where it's at. I don't think that's the location for solid American theater. Where do you, you think know, the it is? New, I think it's everywhere. You know, every regional theater district has a couple places that are really doing new and solid, and they're taking chances on new scripts. I mean, there's a couple places here in town where I live. Uh, they go out of their way to find those underrated scripts that are topical. Um, that in, you know, right now they're on this. Uh, diversity kick to try to get more patrons to be part of the theater, not in the seats, not to be money, but they're trying to be diverse, put up as many types of diverse shows to get participants in the theater. Yeah. It's not all white people. Right. Mm -hmm. And in my town is a real mix of everybody. It's a big ass college town. So there's a lot of different, nationalities here and uh a lot of the you know the the, the smaller community theaters are white old white Mm -hmm. well i think Uh, that's just that's just sort of the thing i mean i live in a third tier you know city like uh, it's not as big as chicago and 
you know, not as small as where you live, but right. um, we have an excellent repertory theater here and they are all constantly taking chances on things like how we learn to drive. Yeah. Something like that. And the Carolina cycle, which, you know, mm-hmm. I think pushes the limits of those old white theater goers <laughs> all yeah. the time. And, yeah. and I've seen experimental musical theater there. Uh, that, and you, yeah, yeah, that I felt was really interesting and, um, and, yeah. and you'll be proud of my college where I work. Um, <laughs> yes, we ended on SpongeBob, but our first show is called the story. It's about a African-American reporter back in the seventies who got into trouble with a story that she wrote that they discovered to be false. So, mm. you know, they're. I think everybody who's really serious about the art form is attempting, even if it's just once in a while, to push forward. And I think that's where we have to start looking for theater, for American theater. And musicals. And musicals. That's I part would, of that. That's <laughs> part of that. Yeah. But, you know, um, musicals are harder to do, especially new ones. Why? Well, you have the added, I mean, I could write a story, you know, I, I've written plays, I've directed plays, I could design, I could do everything but the music. <laughs> sure. And there's a lot of us out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, because it's just, you know, you're adding a second and third language on top of the languages you're already using. So it's, you know, I don't have those languages. That's why I call it tough. Hmm. Is it tough for American theater? No. Good point. So I think that's a good ending. Did we get it? I think we got it. So is the American musical art? Yeah. <laughs> Reluctantly, yes. Some of it is entertainment. I mean, let's face it. But I think I think you're right. I think that it comes in the immutable experience, whether you like the content or not. Right. If if you're having that moment, it's there. That's art. Yeah, and that's you know, and that's that's my personal opinion. But um, I agree. I agree. Okay. Even though I, I don't, one. <laughs> I might want you. I'll get you. <laughs> you just wait. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> I will say it was very funny when I was watching South Pacific uh, because I. I didn't know the storyline and I had just heard, I was forced to sing. I, I sing for, as a hobby and I was forced to sing by my, my, my voice teacher in college. She made me sing. Um, God, what the hell is the name of stupid song? Um, I'm as happy as Kansas in August. I'm as corny as 4th of July. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm in love with love with the wonderful guy. With the wonderful guy, yeah. Yeah, I had to sing that song. And I hated it. And <laughs> she always made me sing musical songs because I never wanted to sing classical songs. And because I'm just not a classical singer. But right. it was funny because uh, I was like, well, you know, why can't I sing Cole Porter? Why can't I sing George Gershwin? Why can't I sing, you know, but she wasn't fluent in that. And she was used to teaching. Um, my, my alma mater is, is a huge theater school. It has a, um, a conservatory attached. So mm-hmm. they, 
they teach musical theater students all the time. So she was kind of familiar with that. And so I ended up having to sing a lot of songs from musicals and really disliked it. It's, it's a, it's a style of singing that is not fluent to my voice. I just, right. Yeah. Did not, it's, it's a style that, that, uh, that enunciation, that, that uh, the treatment of the vowels and things like that. It was, it, it's a different training. It's a different yeah. training. So it was hard for me, but uh, I, when I was watching South Pacific, I was like, this content is so offensive. <laughs> It was no. breathtakingly <laughs> racist, as I think is what I thought to myself. No, <laughs> one of <laughs> it's still done to this day. Not uh, a lot anymore. Really? But there's, no, South Pacific. Yeah. South Pacific, and there's one called the Mikado. Oh and yes, the, uh, three oh. little f- girls from school are we? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Filled to the brim with girlish glee. <laughs> yes. Yeah, people do that because they love that music. Oh my God, no! And it That's is, you know, you know, next year we're gonna do a minstrel show kind oh, of situation. Oh my God! Oh my stars! It is so bad and so offensive and so so bad, so racist, so misogynistic, so so so, so, so much. Anyway. But my my vindication with watching South Pacific, I just have to tell you, I was like, they were singing that song "Dames," and it was all these guys you know half naked pants and shirtless and yeah, stuff the, standing the around sailors. singing dames and i was like this is so unintentionally homoerotic and i'm laughing my ass off i just thought it was <laughs> hilarious little that, something for everybody there's something for everybody so <laughs> is it See? art probably not <laughs> okay there's your challenge julie uh how do you take one of those old musicals and rework it for a modern audience? You know, is you know, are you going to play South Pacific for all the homoeroticism? <laughs> you know? I think that would be great, personally. But I mean, you would have to like gut the thing because the the crux of the story is all about you know this this sort of racial. T- <laughs> I guess this racial tension um, during the, the beginnings of World War II, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's just. <sighs> See, now you're thinking about it, aren't you? I am. <laughs> Wouldn't be the same musical if I got my hands on it. I'll tell you what. But, but would it be art? <laughs> but would it be art? No, probably not. I would. <laughs> It would be uh, a really cool experiment. It would be a really would. cool experiment that probably would really fail. It would be entertaining, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Would it make you some money? Okay, we're done. <laughs> we're done. We're done. <laughs> okay, I that will was talk. Actually, really good. That, that was, was fun. It yeah. was fun, and I think we we got to the heart of something really. So that's good. Thank you so much for your attention and patronage. If you truly enjoy this podcast, please like, subscribe, follow, download, and add a comment if you wish to join in the conversation. Please join us again on this enlightening podcast, but is it art? <laughs> <laughs>